0: I love Advent. Um, One of my, I think I say this about every season, right? Uh, But I think it's one of my favorite seasons. And here's why. In fact, some of you in the room, you may be like, what's Advent? I don't even know, we don't even know what you're talking about. We're going to talk about that. I'll explain what it is. But one of the reasons why I love Advent so much is because it's a season that deals with the tension of what really happens in our hearts and in the world around us where we see really, really good things and we see really, really awful things and we look at it and go, there's gotta be someone or something that can solve this. You know what I'm saying? Like that feeling and that tension where everyone's smiling and singing Mariah Carey songs. But deep down there's a lot of brokenness and hurt and anxiety. Anybody hearing what I'm talking about right now? And, and this season actually allows for the tension of that to be held on to and talked about. I love talking about stuff that feels, eh, everyone's pretending like it's not happening. I love talking about it. All right, yes. I think that's a little bit like part of who I am is I feel a lot of stuff. And I look around and it's like, I think everyone else is feeling it too. Is somebody going to say it? And Advent provides an opportunity for all the feelers like me to go, hey, this is happening. Anyone else feeling it? Because the truth of the matter is, if we put our hope in anything else, everybody look at me right now. (laughs) It's about to get real. If we put our hope in anything else other than Jesus the King, we will be disappointed and we will be destroyed. I'm telling you the truth right now. And, and you can point to it at, at, in frivolous ways, and trivial ways, but then also in real ways. The trivial ways are like shadows of the reality. And here's a trivial way to see it. Have you ever noticed how Christmas day almost feels anticlimactic? Anyone? Any, anyone? <laughs> like you actually get to the present, like you're waiting for these presents. I can't wait to open these presents. I can't wait for my kids to open the presents. And then you get there, and then what does it feel like? Let down, is that it? In fact, how many times has your kid said, is that it? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Well, there's all this buildup. Advent, Thanksgiving, Christmas, I can't wait. Christmas day, Christmas day, Christmas day. And then what happens Christmas day? Boom, crash. In fact, people get upset. You know why that's happening? is because we're stepping into waters that are real inside. We're stepping into, a, into these waters where our hearts are saying, oh wait, I'm, I'm getting hopeful again, that there's something that I get to experience and, and receive, there's something I get to receive that will finally make me feel peace and whole. And when we open that thing or we do that thing or we get to that place and we realize, oh no, it doesn't make me feel whole, we feel crash. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And oh, Am I saying that we shouldn't open presents? No, of course not. I'm just saying, understand, that's why you have a crash emotionally. Is because in some tiny way, you're actually substituting Jesus for this present that you think will satisfy. Or a certain Buckeye team. Wow. Uh-oh, it got real, it got real. <laughs> Uh Uh-oh, amazing blue, what? Um, Do you know what I'm saying, though? And listen, as a Baylor Bear, I feel the same way. Like, we're losing a bunch of games, not as badly as y'all lost. But anyway, I'm I'm just saying. Y'all like, get this dude out of here. Um, Bearcats ain't that better either. Um, Y'all know that. But see, what happens is, is when we put all of our hope in this team and then they let us down, we feel the crash. If you put all your hope on that Christmas present, it's going to crash. This is why we feel anticlimactic. So that's why I love this season, because it forces the issue. (laughs) This season forces you to deal with your emotions Looking forward to something, and oh, that didn't satisfy. Oh, looking, I can't, it's gonna be so great, I get to eat all this food, and now I feel terrible. <laughs> Was anybody else Thursday? Oh, it's gonna be great, I'm gonna be with family. Oh gosh, family. <laughs> right? I, I... This season forces the issue. And the issue is this if you are gonna find peace, wholeness, joy, satisfaction in life, you will find it nowhere else other than Jesus the Christ. And he is the one whom your soul loves and is longing for. And when you try to substitute presents, twinkly lights, anything else, relationships, anything else, they will not, they will not satisfy. And you will feel the anticlimactic crash. So I love this season because everyone starts to crash, <laughs> and it forces the conversation to Jesus. Are you all hearing me this morning? <laughs> so let's, let's jump into this message. A couple things I want to talk about. What is Advent? Secondly, I just want to go through the story of the Bible, which will be exciting to do in one message. I'm going to apply that, and then we're going, to, we're going to end our service at the table. The table is going to be the focus, heading to the table, and we'll finish our service together in communion. Let me pray for us, and then let's go after the word. Hmm. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here with us. I thank you for this season. I thank you for a season that points us towards the one gift that actually brings joy. And that's you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will come now and teach us and challenge us and comfort and encourage us and above all Holy Spirit I ask that you will open our eyes to see Jesus again this Advent season so we give you this time and it's in Jesus name we pray amen okay first question what is Advent Advent is a season. It's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. Um, It comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming, to come. Something is coming. And so whenever you say advent, you're you're talking about something or someone that's coming. Uh, That's that Latin word adventus. And advent season is where uh, it started in the third century. Actually, the early church uh, began to say to themselves, okay, let's, what do we, what, what we want to do during this season? And they began to say, okay, well, let's, let's take this time out prior to Christmas Day. Let's take this time and let's have... It's almost like um, Lent leading up to Easter. Advent leads up to Christmas. And, and so it started out as a very a penitential uh, time of confession and fasting, which, by the way, is fine to do during Advent. But the, the focus of Advent is in two ways. There are two comings that we celebrate at Advent. There are two comings, Adventists to come, coming. The first coming is the coming of Jesus as the Christ child, the baby in the manger. The familiar story that we have related to Christmas, that's the first coming. And we celebrate that during Advent, that Jesus is coming, the little one, the baby is coming. Oh, come let us adore him. That's the first focus of Advent. The second focus of Advent is the second coming of Jesus. Not when Jesus comes as a baby, but actually when Jesus comes as a king to make all things right, to inaugurate a new heaven and a new earth, a a, a new place where all wrongs are made right, where he wipes every tear from our eyes. We're, so, Advent, you're actually thinking about two, in two different paths, you're thinking about the coming of the Christ child as a baby, yes, and the, the second coming of Jesus to make all things right. So, that's what this season is about. And, and if you notice, the two of those comings allow us to hold that tension that I was talking about, that tension of Jesus has come, yes and amen, this is amazing. Also stuff is still really bad in the world. And he said, I'm coming again to make it all right, to fully inaugurate my kingdom. We talked about this several weeks ago, that we, we have this tension in theology called the kingdom of God is already and not yet. It is still coming. You remember when we talked about this. So this, this season is a tension-filled season where you're holding on to those two things. We're looking, we're looking back towards the coming of Jesus the first time as a baby. We're looking forward to his second coming as a triumphant king. And so the series plan for us is today we're looking at the message called He is Coming. Then we're going to start in the book of John, and we're just looking at Jesus in the book of John. We're just going to go right through John, starting next Sunday. We'll look at Jesus, the Word of God, Jesus, the light of the world, Jesus, the Word made flesh, and then we have Christmas Eve services, uh, four and five o'clock on December 24th. So that's the plan for Advent. Now, I want to share a resource with you. I don't have this as a slide, but I just want to share a resource with you by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, it's a devotional a book called God in the Manger. And uh, it's, it's Bonhoeffer's sermons and letters that have been edited and translated, obviously, and edited and compiled into a devotional resource. I just want to submit that to you. It's called God in the Manger, Reflections on Advent And Christmas. And I just want to read a little bit of the preface uh, to this devotional book just to set our minds on Advent. (laughs) The editor writes this Just two days after Adolf Hitler had seized control of Germany in early 1933, Bonhoeffer delivered a radio sermon in which he criticized the new regime and warned Germans that the Fuhrer concept was dangerous and wrong. Leaders of offices which set themselves up as gods mock God, Bonhoeffer said. He said, leaders of offices who set themselves up as gods mock God, is the way he concluded his address. But Germany never got to hear those final statements because Bonhoeffer's microphone had been switched off mid-transmission. That began a 12-year struggle against Nazism in Germany with Bonhoeffer running afoul of authorities and being arrested in 1943. The editor says much of this devotional book was written during the two years that he spent in prison. And then listen, it says for Bonhoeffer, waiting, one of the central themes of the Advent experience was a fact of life during the war. Waiting to be released from prison, waiting to be able to spend more than an hour a month in the company of his young fiancée, Maria waiting for the end of the war. In his absence, friends and former students were killed in battle and his parents' home was bombed. There was little he could do about any of this except pray and wield a powerful pen. There was a helplessness in his situation that he recognized as a parallel to Advent. Christian's time of waiting for redemption in Christ. He said this, life in a prison cell may well be compared to Advent. <laughs> Don't you love it when you are reading people who have actually gone through some stuff <laughs> and they say things that are so insightful. Uh, my, 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 I feel like the Lord is, is wanting to call us all to think differently about this season that we're walking into. It's not just Christmas is coming, yay, la, 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 Mariah Carey songs. By the way, Bailey is obsessed with Mariah Carey songs, right? And plays it all over the house. I'm not anti-Christmas songs. I I just, I feel like the Lord is calling us to just think differently in this season. So he wrote his best friend, life in a prison cell may well be compared to Advent. One waits hopes and does this that or the other things that are really of no consequence <laughs> the door is shut and can only be opened from the outside and then in today's entry in this book bonhoeffer writes this jesus stands at the door knocking revelation 3:20 christ is knocking It's still not Christmas, but it's also still not the great last Advent, the last coming of Christ. Through all the Advents of our life that we celebrate runs the longing for the last Advent, when the word will be this, see, I am making all things new. The Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is an Advent season. That is, a season of waiting for the last Advent, For the time where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So that's Advent. It's holding the tension. Christmas is coming. Also, Jesus is coming again to make all things right. So how do we actually practically walk into this? I would say, I want to submit this to you. One of the best things you can do is to get acquainted with the Bible. <laughs> uh, to be acquainted with the Word. And uh, there's, a, there's a discipline in, in theological studies called biblical theology. And that is, is that, individuals will look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and they will find themes that are woven throughout all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. This happens in all kinds of ways. Some people will find the theme of love as a theme and they'll, they'll find theme, the theme of love all the way from Genesis to Revelation. You can make an argument that the main storyline title of the Bible, I'm going to make this argument this morning, That the main thread of what the Bible is saying is this, he is coming. (laughs) That that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is saying something to all of humanity and to all of creation, he is coming. (laughs) And so I just want to very briefly sketch that, that the narrative of the Bible is he is coming. So we'll do this very quickly. Obviously you see Genesis 1, in the beginning God created everything, we've talked about that already. In the beginning God created everything and everything was good. Everything was exactly the way God said it was to be, right? He creates man, Adam is created, Eve is created. God gives commands to Adam and Eve, technically Adam, but you know what I'm saying. He says, listen, you can eat anything in the garden except for the the fruit that's on this one tree. you see the second act of cold rebellion. We see it in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent comes up to Eve. You remember the story. And what does the serpent say to Eve? He says, did God really say? See, a questioning of God's nature and what he says. Is what God says actually true or not? Which, by the way, is foundational to all temptation in your life right now. Is the temptation to question whether God is holding out on you, or whether what He says is true or not? Just just a, a bonus for you. Anytime someone talks about specifically sexual ethics in the Christian walk, there's there's a there's a, a heavy emphasis on uh, that's so backwards and traditional that you would reserve sexual relationships for one man and one woman in the context of marriage forever. They said that's so backwards. Like God's holding out on you. You should be able to do whatever you want with anyone. Do you always hear the serpent in that? That somehow God is holding out. He's, he's, he's keeping you from having fun. Which is that exactly what the serpent said. Oh, uh, God, God doesn't want you to eat this. Or, uh, otherwise, you'll be like him. <laughs> anyway, that's just a bonus thing. I just want to say, when the word says something, we can believe it to be true. Even if the temptation is somehow that what God says is actually holding out on us or doing something that actually hurts us. Actually, the, the laws of God are actually for our flourishing and not for our lack of enjoyment. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll move on from that. Did God really say? And Eve takes the fruit. The Bible says that she saw this fruit. She's like, oh, that looks really good for eating. She takes it hands it to Adam, who's been there the entire time, Adam, the Bible says that they realized that they were naked, They became afraid of God, and began, and they were hiding from God. And God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, he's looking for Adam, and Eve he says, where are you? Where are you guys? He said, we were hiding because we were afraid of you. There was a dislocation between God and humanity. And in that moment, that rebellion against God, actually everything was fractured, Everything that's fractured in your life and in my life and the life around us comes from original sin, the original rebellion against God to question, did God really say, is he, is he really trustworthy? And to rebel against him and sin against him. So then God actually confronts Adam and Eve. He begins to speak to them. And then I want you to see what he says to the serpent. so much here. I'm just going to read what he said to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, warfare and violence, I will put enmity between you, he's talking to the serpent, and the woman." And between your offspring and her offspring, and then he refers to this offspring saying, he shall bruise your head, serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. Now that's a really weird thing to say in Genesis chapter 3. Y'all, y'all hear what I'm saying right now? That's a really weird thing to say. Hey, there's going to be war, and actually one of her offspring is going to crush your head, and you're going to bruise his heel. and theologians all throughout history have seen the very first declaration of the Messiah. There is one who is coming, this offspring, who is God and man, and he will come and he will crush the head of the serpent, while at the same time his heel will be bruised. That's what the text says. All of this foreshadowing in Genesis chapter 3, foreshadowing that there is one who is coming, who is of the offspring of humanity, who will crush Satan and will be bruised in the process. We see a shadow from the very beginning of God saying, there is a hero coming. There is one who is coming to make all things right. So you have this rebellion. Even in the rebellion, there's a promise made. And then we see the entire story, promise after promise after promise. There's a Messiah coming. There's a hero coming. There's a victor coming. Abraham is called out as a chosen people. And there's, there's coming someone from this people group. These people are enslaved in Egypt, and a a hero comes, his name is Moses, to rescue the people. And there's this call. There's one coming like Moses, who's even better than Moses. He's coming. He's coming to make all things right. Then the people of Israel escape Egypt. They come into the promised land. And there are these judges that begin to rule over the people and to save the people. And the Bible says everyone was just doing whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. But these judges would come, actually these representatives of God would come and rescue the people. But then these judges would do the wrong thing. And it was almost as if you could hear it in the background. Oh, we thought this one hero, we thought this hero would do it. And then he failed. But there's a Messiah who's coming. There's another one who's coming. And then after the judges, you have the kings. The people of God asked for a king. The kings come. You have David, Saul, David, Solomon. They keep continue down the line, failing after failure after failure. They said there's a promise. There is a king coming in the line of David who will make all things right. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. The people are exiled in Babylon. I'm fast-forwarding over a lot. You, you can tell. <laughs> They're exiled in Babylon. There's a return, and then there's silence for 400 years. So the Bible's been saying, "He's coming. He's coming, He's coming. And then for 400 years, there's silence. Can you feel the tension of that? Or well, is he coming or not? Is he going to come and make all things right? And then you hear a cry in a manger. Not only is he coming, he has come. This little baby has come. This Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, who who says about himself, the Spirit of the Lord is on me actually to set the captives free. And he, he lives a life of bringing freedom, freedom, freedom. He lives a perfect life, the very life that Adam and Eve should have lived, where he obeyed God perfectly. And then he's nailed to a cross taking the punishment and the sin and the shame and the brokenness that all of us have participated in, in our own hearts, that broken thing in our hearts where we think to ourselves, what is wrong with me? You know, that, you know those times where you look at yourself and you go, what is wrong with me? And we can try to cover it up with a bunch of... I mean, you can try to cover it up with candy canes. It won't work, my friend. And you can try to cover it up with tryptophan and turkey. It won't work. Actually, actually what you're feeling is death on the inside. And Jesus came and actually took that death for you. Actually died on the cross for you, in your place. And he was buried in the ground. He was raised on the third day. And he says, if you come to me, I will give you eternal life. I'll bring wholeness. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will bring rest to your souls. This is what God says in Jesus. And he invites, come. He says, repent and believe. Change the way you think about yourself and the world around you. Change the way that you think. Repent and believe in me, Jesus says. That I am the one who was to come and make all things right. Repent, change the way you think, and believe in Jesus. That's the good news. Then you have the kingdom. The Holy Spirit comes upon the church. Acts chapter 2. I've fast forwarded a big thing. Jesus ascends back to the Father makes a promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. I send my spirit to be upon you. Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus and the Father actually comes and dwells within believers. And they begin to engage in kingdom mission. Declaring to the entire world, actually, you are in sin. Actually, yeah, you're really messed up. And there's a Savior who has died for you. And you can receive forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and peace in your life if you will come to him. His name is Jesus. He lived, he died, and he was raised on the third day for you. So the church begins to advance with gospel good news and declare to everyone, y'all are all messed up, and Jesus is the answer. At the same time, there is a promise again. And it is this. In spite of all the things that are happening in the world around us, he is coming again. He is coming again. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 verse 5. Verses 1 through 5. says this. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So the storyline, Genesis to Revelation, is a story... God creating everything good, humanity rebelling and creation itself being broken in such a way that there is a promise, he is coming to restore. And all throughout the Old Testament, there is, he's coming, the Messiah is coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. At the the first advent, Jesus, the Messiah, comes as a baby. He lives, dies, and is raised on the third day for the sins of the world. He says, come to me. He ascends, the Spirit comes and descends. Now the church engages in this mission of telling Jesus is the answer. As cliche as it sounds, Jesus is the reason for the season. You know this little phrase. It's actually true. (laughs) And that he is coming again to make all things right. He is coming. So as we look to apply this, I want to be honest about pain in our lives. Because you may say to yourself, well, why did he come (laughs) and then leave? And then come again? Why not just come one time, solve it, and be done, right? I mean, does anyone else feel that way? Because now we got all the, we got like 2,000 years of like brokenness. Like 2,000 years of death and pain, and trauma, and, and, and family dysfunction, wow. and, and, and racial stuff, right? I mean, you just watched the World Cup, and I'm just like, is anybody else bothered by the fact of the racial and uh, ethnic injustices that are happening in Qatar? Is no one gonna talk about it? You know what I'm saying? And then, by the way, there's injustices all over the world, so I'm not, I'm not picking on Qatar. If anyone ever tries to tell you, I know why God allows painful things to happen, if anyone tries to tell you that, they're lying to your face. I don't don't know why God has decided to do this way. We we pick up snippets from scripture that he is delaying in coming to receive more of the Gentiles. So that's a reason. By the way, None of us would be in the kingdom if he didn't delay. Y'all, y'all hear what I'm saying? So there's a, there's a great benefit to his delay personally. Um, that he is delaying in his mystery and his omniscience. He is delaying for the good of humanity Somehow. And if we walk around thinking that we have all the answers to these painful whys, then we are deceiving ourselves and each other. But we do know that God is good. You say, but Jamie, then why? I don't know, but God is good. And he's coming to make all things right. We say, but, but Jamie, why, why, why would he let this thing happen? I don't know, but he's good, and he's coming again to make all things right. But, Jamie, you, that was severe trauma that happened to me. Where was he? I, I, I don't know. But he's good, and he's coming to make all things right. And, oh, by the way, the tears of that trauma and the tears of those wise will be wiped from your face as you see him face to face. Do you feel the tension and the reality of this? That's the tension of Advent. See, the world around you is going to be obsessed with twinkly lights and presents, And frankly, a lot of that is just covering up brokenness and emptiness on the inside. The call of the believer is to step into that and to declare the answer to what you are, the brokenness, is actually Jesus, and He's coming again. He is coming. When Job was asking why, why did my kids die? Why did this natural disaster hit? Why is all my business basically torn down? Why, why, why? He's like, God, I want you to come down here so I can talk to you about why. Do you remember this story? (laughs) He's like, I want to have audience with you, Yahweh. Why? Why the death of my kids? Why the loss of my business? Why? Why the boils that I'm actively, you know, why? And it's so interesting, God does not answer the why. He says, I'm the creator of the universe. Were you there when I created everything? It's so interesting the way God answers our whys. Are you all with me right now? When God answers Job's why, why the pain, he talks about himself, his identity. I'm the creator of all things. Were you there when I fashioned the stars? (laughs) And Job's like, um, "I thought I had seen you, but now I've seen you. I'm going to keep my mouth shut because you are good and I trust you." Amen. This is what Job's response was. Yeah. He didn't get an answer to the "why. He got identity of God, who God is. Yes. Let's just pick another one. How about John the Baptist? This, as I was thinking about Bonhoeffer, I was thinking about Bonhoeffer, it made me think of John the Baptist. Because as I read Bonhoeffer, I'm like, God, why would you snuff out Bonhoeffer? It's one of the most brilliant minds. Why? why? I'm, imagine all the other works he could have written. Why? So it made me, the Lord brought me to John the Baptist. Do you remember John the Baptist is in a, a similar category, sitting in prison, about to be beheaded. Because he's speaking to the ruler of the day. He says, you're not really supposed to take your uh, sister-in-law as wife. (laughs) Mm. There's that morality again. He's in prison. He sends word to Jesus through his disciples. And John's asking, hey, are you the one who's to come? Like, are you going to get me out of this thing? (laughs) Because I don't know why I'm in prison. And what does Jesus say? (laughs) Does he give a treatise on, well, this is why you're in prison, because it's helping to sanctify your blah, blah, blah. Does he do anything on that? What does Jesus say? Go and tell John who I am. (laughs) He said, the blind see, the deaf hear. The poor have the good news proclaimed to them. He says, I am the Messiah who has come. John is asking, why don't you rescue me out of prison? And Jesus says, I am the Messiah who's coming. Are you all seeing this, what I'm saying? (laughs) counterintuitively, you would think, Jesus, why don't you just answer the question straight? The answer is, I'm the one who is coming. The answer to all of our whys is Jesus is the one who is coming. Why did this painful thing happen? Jesus is the one who's coming to make all things right. Well, why did he allow this trauma and abuse to happen in my life? Jesus is the one who is coming. He is coming to make all things right. Well, why does this nation slaughter an entire people group? The answer, Jesus is the one who is coming to make all things right. And no one's pretending like that's ultimately satisfying, as I say it, right? It's the tension. Last one, Martha comes to Jesus. Why didn't you come and heal my brother? Why didn't you save him? You could have saved him, Jesus. Why did you delay? The Bible says that Jesus delayed. Do you all remember this in the text? And Martha's looking at him like, why, why weren't you here? We buried my brother. Where were you? And do you know Jesus' answer? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. He says, do you believe this? Jesus did not answer Martha's why. He answered her with, I am the resurrection and the life. Are you all seeing what I'm, what I'm, trying, what I'm picturing here? The answer to your why's is Jesus is the I am who is coming to make all things right. To wipe every tear from your eye. Well, we do know the Bible says that we prophesy in part. Actually, all the spiritual gifts are being exercised in part. That means we sometimes get it right and we sometimes get it wrong. But I I want to just caution us as a church family if perfection is required of all the gifts, then that means that we all have to stop doing everything we're doing. Because some might say, well, then we should stop following prophetic words and dreams and visions. If, it, if this is what's going to happen, we should… Well, how many of you know that we can miss… We can get teaching wrong? How, how many times do you think someone's taught incorrectly from Scripture? You think a couple times? But no, no one would say, actually, well, because of the abuse of the teaching of Scripture, we should stop teaching Scripture. Or, well, I shared the gospel that one time, and the person wasn't saved. It didn't work, so I should stop sharing the gospel. Are you all are y'all seeing what I'm saying right now? Yes. Uh, uh, because something doesn't work, quote-unquote, does not mean we should stop doing something that, God, that the Bible has commanded us to do. Yes, sir. Prayer and faith is never wrong. <laughs> There's a quote by Jack Deere. When I read this quote many years ago, it solidified something in my heart. Most of my life, this is Jack talking, he says, most of my life I've made the mistake of believing God for too little. For the rest of my life, if I have to make a mistake, it's going to be believing God for too much. Here's what I believe. I actually believe that the Lord wants us to double down on prayer for healing and prayer for resurrection. Because one of the options right now is for us to go, okay, well, we should just stop praying for healing. We should stop believing that God would bring resurrection life. We should should stop listening to prophetic words. We should stop believing God. Actually, I think we're to double down. I think actually that we're supposed to step in stronger to say, no, 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 actually, God is bringing healing today, and he is the one who is coming. There is brokenness in this world, and the answer to the why is he is coming to make all things right. So that's one application, is the answer to your painful why is he is coming. Second application, I want to encourage you this Advent season to stay plugged in to Jesus. You know, one of the tensions of this is that Jesus ascended, and he said, I'm coming back. But it's interesting, he actually did not leave us alone. Did you know that? (laughs) Jesus actually said something to us. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then he leaves. Isn't that a strange thing? I will never leave you or forsake you. What? You, you just, but you said, and then, because he sends his spirit. So the, the tension of Advent, of course, is uh, he is coming. Also, the spirit of Jesus dwells within now. <laughs> so I want to encourage you. Uh, Many times, I've experienced this in my own life just in the last 10 days. Uh, When I stop abiding in Jesus, when I stop being plugged in, I feel like a laptop that hasn't been plugged in for a couple of days and is starting to... You all know what I'm saying? Anybody else felt like that? It could have been the turkey. It might have been. It also could be I'm not plugged into Jesus and the Spirit of God. I want to encourage you this season to re-engage it's a it's an interesting season because um all of our schedules are different like kiddos have like christmas programs i got christmas parties you got to go to this thing you got to be on the porch on saturday because jamie keeps talking to you about it and you're definitely going to be there on saturday on the porch at 5 30 but you got all these differences in your rhythms and routines i want to encourage you uh in those moments your rhythms and your routines have a have an opportunity to go by the wayside and you can unplug from jesus i want to encourage you to stay plugged in Engage in spiritual disciplines, reading the word, prayer, communion with God. I want to encourage you to double down on these things. Third and last, I'm going to encourage you to come to the table. I've mentioned a couple of different examples of painful things. I'm going to invite you to come to the table, and I'm going to invite you to take all of those wise and those painful things, maybe some painful conversations you had over Thanksgiving with family and friends. I want... I'm gonna invite you to actually come and bring those to Jesus and exchange them for the broken body and the blood of Jesus. The table actually represents another place of He is coming. It's so interesting. Do you remember what Jesus said at the Last Supper? He said this Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. He said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of this, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Then he says this, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I don't know if you caught that, but Jesus is waiting for his own coming where he gets to feast with us. And the table is actually a place of remembrance where we're remembering his first coming, death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm eating and I'm thinking, well, I can't wait for when he returns. I eat this fully in his presence and it is a feast. It's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. So I wanna encourage you as we take just a few moments here of reflect, we're gonna be worshiping and reflecting and coming to the table. I want to encourage you to bring all of those wise and concerns and painful things, bring them to the table and leave them at the table and receive the body and blood of Jesus. Receive his peace. Receive his wholeness. And eat and drink, remembering that he is coming. And he will wipe every tear from our eyes. He will make all things new.